0: here. welcome to another Flip My Funnel episode. And this podcast has been just growing like crazy. And one of the reasons it's growing is because we have people that are doing Tuesday and Thursday takeovers. So today I'm really excited to introduce Barb uh, Mosher Zink. She is running her own podcast called Content Matters. And it's a really, really good podcast. And she's interviewing some ridiculously good people in content. So if you're in content, you gotta to listen to
1: this whole series. So, Barb. Welcome to the FlipMaffinal Podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. All right, Bob. Share a little bit about your podcast and the type of people
0: you're interviewing in this series.
1: So the Content Matters Podcast is a podcast that looks at all aspects of content, from, especially from the marketing side, but also from like technical documentation, like how, all of, how it works to support every kind of group across the company. And I have been really, really fortunate to interview some really great, smart experts. Um, Scott Abel, Ann Hanley, Matthew Sweezy, um, Ian True Scott, um, Jim Edmonds, uh, Kem Mayfield, or Matthew, sorry, I said his name wrong. But um, yeah, there's just there were so many. I've, we've been going for two years now, and it's just, it's just been phenomenal. Fantastic,
0: Barb. I cannot wait to hear this episode. So let's just dive right into it.
1: Welcome back to the Content Matters Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Chris Laird, who is the Director of Sales Development for Ingeniux, um, the sponsor of the Content Matters Podcast. I invited Chris to join us to share his insights and experience on sales development strategies and technologies. Prior to working with Ingenix, Chris actually spent over three years at Outreach, which is probably one of the most well-known sales engagement tools in a emerging sales tech industry that is growing like crazy, and it's actually a very fascinating industry to kind of pay attention to. Chris learned a lot during his time there and actually rose up the ladder pretty quickly to play a key role in the growth of the company. We talked about marketing and sales alignment, which is really critical, I think, for um, any kind of company to move forward these days to have those two teams working tightly together. We uh, talked about all the different types of sales technologies particularly sales engagement and sales enablement. But Chris also went through the sales tech stack, which, you know, if you think marketing has a big stack, sales does too. But you should also know that Chris spent over 10 years as a music educator. And believe it or not, the time he spent as an educator has helped Chris figure out the best approach to engaging with customers and prospects. Actually, I think it's a really good background to be a marketer as well. And, um, He kind of went through some of his ideas there and actually talked a little bit about his musical background, which I thought was really fun. So with that, I'm going to let you listen to the podcast. I think um, if you're a salesperson trying to grow in your skills and experience, this is something you really want to listen to. And if you're a marketer trying to understand sales strategies and techniques, because I think that's important that you do understand that as a marketer, you should be listening to this podcast as well enjoy it i know i had fun recording it tell me about your role with genix tell me what you do
0: my uh, position within genix is the director of sales development and uh, what that basically entails is about a year ago i was hired and brought on to uh, develop a sales development team um, and part of that was building the process that the sales development team would follow to begin an outbound sales motion for the company. Um, so, prior to me coming on board, uh, the majority of the business traffic was mostly inbound, uh, lead based, and um, the leadership saw uh, an opportunity to create an outbound um, push for the sales team to be able to go out and find new business. So, that's been my role. The last year is to um, refine the current processes when I came on board, and then build out new processes for the outbound team, and then recruit and hire uh, our first set of sales development reps or SDRs to uh, put that process into action now for the team. And they're just wrapping up their first month of uh, being on the team here at ingenix
1: I know things have definitely changed a lot since um, you came on board and started implementing your programs. It's been it's been really actually exciting to see kind of how that whole process has, has worked out and where it is working out. Um, so your career started or your sales career started outreach, um, and they are a sales engagement company. They started kind of modern sales development. What was it like working there and, and what kind of are the key takeaways you took from working there?
0: Uh, it was an amazing experience. Um, You know, you you say it's, you know, I started my sales career there. Um, It was kind of like if you decided that you were going to um, uh, play a sport and your first experience was playing in the NFL, you know, Um, (laughs) like when I didn't realize it at the time, because the company was still very young. Um, I was employee number 52 at Outreach and there were people that had been hired before me that were no longer there by the time I got there. so uh, we were still a pretty small company at that time, and I was brought on as an SDR sales development rep with no prior sales experience. Um, but uh, it was uh, it was we always called it the rocket ship uh, because the the speed of which things were um, iterating and changing and growing and developing at outreach was uh, always at hyperdrive speed, um, which sometimes was pretty intimidating, uh, especially for a young salesperson. But at the same time, I didn't really know any different, so um, that became my normal. Um, but when I started working for them, uh, it was in January of 2016, and they had just finished their first year of of sales, quote unquote, like real sales with a sales team. And they were at about $2.5 million in revenue. And our goal for the the calendar year was to get to $10 million, Um, which, you know, looking back on it now, to quadruple your revenue in one year, I was, you know, I would be like, holy cow, that's impossible. Yeah. But but we did it. Um, And what's really interesting about it was um, at that time, Outreach did not have a marketing team. They had no official marketing uh, department, no VP of marketing. Uh, The sales development team was also the marketing team in large part. So we had a huge list of accounts that were dispersed across the sales development team. And it was our job to reach out to people in those accounts and get the word out about outreach and what sales engagement was. we were kind of serving two important, um, fulfilling two important needs in the company at the time. Um, And I remember like back in that day, you know, outreach was just a, you know, a mere shell of what it is today as a platform. But um, a lot of the people we would talk to would say, you know, wait, who are you and what is sales engagement? I don't even know what you're talking about. In fact, we, there was a period of time we called it sales acceleration and um, people were like, Oh, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't like that term. And we, we switched over to sales automation and, you know, people were like, well, I don't want to automate my sales team. Like that's p- replacing humans with robots. And I don't want to do that. Finally, the, the, the market space emerged to sales engagement. Um, so it was like standing out above your other tools that a lot of companies already have in place for sales teams like Salesforce which is your um, your CRM and your marketing automation tools like marketo or HubSpot um, so we we were kind of defining a new space in uh, the industry as well, which was really exciting um, but as you know as it as I said um, started out as a sales development rep. Um, and about 6 months into that we um got to the point in which we hit our goal for the year um we had a company goal that if we got to 8 million uh we were all going to go on a trip to Mexico for a reward so that was kind of the big celebration but we kept our foot on the pedal and and uh ended the year by just about quadrupling our revenue in one year and um by the end of my first year there I was already uh, promoted to a sales manager position where I was leading a team of SDRs uh, in the Pennsylvania office. Um, And my manager uh, was tapped on the shoulder to move to Seattle to start a sales development team on the West Coast uh, because the company was growing at such a rapid pace and had plans to continue expanding. Um, So that's how I stepped into the manager role. And again, here I am basically eight to nine months in my sales career and I'm managing a sales development team uh, for what was then, you know, one of the fastest growing startups uh, in the sales engagement or in sales space. So uh, it was really interesting. But um, as I worked there for, you know, I worked there for almost three and a half years and I, I quickly realized that the pace at which we were changing and growing and transforming was never going to slow down because that was part of what we were selling. We were selling modern sales development, um, and if we were out there saying that our platform could do that, then we had to we had to drink our own Kool-Aid. You know, the sales team had to use outreach as its key um, tool in our stack to be able to generate results, so that we could. Leverage that information uh, in, in the conversations we were having with other companies to help them see the value uh, in sales engagement. Um, but also, you know, companies started to look to us for advice and thought leadership as to how to stand up a sales team, how to structure a sales organization, what tools to use, what tools to equip your sales team with to be more successful, and generate that rapid pace of revenue influx. So um, we were kind of on the hot seat, so to say, um, in terms of just having to always be one step ahead of where market um, tendencies were and kind of leading the pack and in, in, uh, developing new procedures and processes to help teams continue to grow. So it was really, really a, a neat experience. And to be a part of that team that went from About two and a half million in revenue, my first day on the job, to uh, almost 60 million by the time I left, and I think they're close to 100 million in revenue and valued at over a billion dollars now. It was really a, a really cool experience to be on the inside of that and see all that developing.
1: Is that is that why someone referred to it as working in the chocolate factory? Because
0: it grew so fast. (laughs) Yes, exactly. And and I think too, you know, you think of that old uh, Lucille Ball skit where she worked in the chocolate factory and she had to, like, it was moving so fast, she had to, like, eat the chocolates and stuff them in her hat. Like, there were days where, um, you know, the leadership would come to us and say, Hey, we're going to try something new. Here's our idea. And the management team would say, Oh, great. Okay. Well, when are we going to start that? And they would say, Well, we want to start tomorrow. So it was like okay, engaged. Um, we just had to really operationalize things pretty quickly, um, but it, it was neat because the leadership had that kind of fail fast mentality. Like we're going to try things, and we're going to we're going to kind of give it all of our attention and, and and huddle around it and put all of our brain work into it. And if if we if we fail, we fail fast, and we we iterate and move on to a new new procedure, or new policy. Um, but I think, you know, that sounds like a pretty risky way to run a business, but we had some amazing leadership that had, you know, years and years of experience developing sales teams and, and working for companies like, um, you know, Microsoft and Google and some of the top names in the tech space. So not only were our developers developing a product uh, that could deliver. Quicker than anyone else, our our leadership team also had, you know, feet on the ground experience in that kind of environment, growing up in their sales careers and development careers, to be able to guide the company in that direction.
1: It certainly sounds like it was a crazy but exciting times for you. Um, so you call outreach is called a sales engagement tool, but there's also the the term sales in sales enablement. And I always kind of thought outreach was sales enablement, but but they're not the same thing. Right.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I think in terms in some terms, you can kind of see some of that cross pollination in those uh, market spaces. But, um, you know, for us, when we worked at outreach, we looked at it as its sales engagement tool. Strictly because the way we would kind of pitch it to people that didn't really understand the space, we would say, you know, well, your, your CRM is your system of record. That's like the, the, the system of truth for all of your records, your accounts, your leads, your contacts. But you need a system of engagement on those records. And that's where outreach comes into play, where you now manage all of your your engagement with those leads and contacts and accounts in one place. Uh, So instead of using your cell phone to make a phone call, using Outlook or Gmail to send an email, using um, a spreadsheet to manage your your list of prospects and accounts, and using a Google form to manage your templates for your emails, uh, you put all of that in one place in outreach where you can manage all of that, all the the touch points and the the intervals between those touch points and all those engagement steps uh, with a prospect. And and then even when a prospect becomes an opportunity, you can manage your opportunities and outreach. And then the term sales enablement kind of uh, started to develop around the same time as well as another set of tools that basically helps sales reps become more efficient um, and in terms of like having resources at their fingertips, but also having um, the ability to do training, in-depth training with your sales team. So when you think of sales enablement space, um, you know, one, one tool that comes to mind is Showpad, um, which we use Showpad at Outreach as our sales enablement tool um and what we used showpad for was it was kind of uh, a database for all of our digital assets that we would use uh within our sales process so the sdrs had access to uh use cases in showpad that we could send out as links and then we could see how our prospects and how our customers were engaging with those assets um what what pages were they viewing How much time did they spend viewing the pages? Um, Were they even viewing the pages? Um, But we could build like lists of assets that were kind of commonly used and we could send them out as part of our sales development process. But then our our account executives also used um, Showpad as an enablement tool for them to house all of the resources and documents that they used when they were doing their, their product demos, their follow-up calls, their technical evaluations, um, those were the resources that like our, our sales enablement team would be able to work to publish those resources and then push them out to the sales team, which was spread across the United States through one tool, which was Showpad, that sales enablement tool. And then the third component of it is um, the ability to set up and run trainings on that that content um, and those documents internally so that you could ensure that your team was all getting the same uniform, uniform training on how to use those tools, um, how to use those resources, how to use those um, PowerPoint presentations in their sales cycle uh, so that the message was consistent across the board. So. Uh, It's a little bit more in terms of like almost like a learning management system as opposed to um, a sales engagement like email, phone call, LinkedIn um, engagement tool. So that's where the two um, market spaces kind of differ.
1: And those are like the two key technologies that I guess you would use in in sales, I guess, along with a CRM, of course, to kind of engage with your prospects and your customers.
0: Yeah, those those would be the, the key when you think of it, you know, you've got your CRM, which is kind of at the top of the pyramid, which is where you house all of your information that's relevant and you can manage um, other parts of your business out of your CRM as well. And then as that pyramid comes down, you've got other tools that would fall into place like your marketing automation tools. You've got your if your website's a key component in your um, marketing plan, then you've got your your website and your content management tool that that houses all your content for your website. Then you've got your your sales engagement tools like outreach and um, your sales enablement tools like Showpad or MediaFly. You've got your data providing tools like LinkedIn, where you can get Prospect data, information, email addresses, phone numbers. Uh, there's other tools like ZoomInfo, uh, which is a company that just went public a few months ago, and yep. um, Seamless, Lean Data. Um, those are all uh, tools that help you kind of organize your data and um, direct them to the right places within all those other tools. And then, of course, you've got you know your other um, your other tools that are kind of commonplace in a business, like your, your email provider and your calendar tools, your video conferencing tools. Um, so it's it's quite an extent. When you start to think about building out a modern sales team, um, you know, it can become quite an extensive tool stack that you put in place. Um, when, when you think about each component of, of how you feed information into your sales team. Uh, but when you think about how important a sales team is, especially uh, an STR team, in terms of filling the top of the funnel, which is where your your revenue pipeline begins, um, the the cost for that setup and and standing up a sales development team definitely uh, proves itself valuable. The ROI and the and that uh, shows itself in. Um, the pipeline that they begin to generate for the, the sales organization and being able to bring in new customers and add revenue to a company.
1: It's a, a, that's a crazy amount of technology. I mean, even from a marketer's perspective, I, I know that marketers use a huge amount of technology, but I, I, I could almost see a salesperson who's maybe been in the industry and been in the role for a long, long time, who was used to maybe making phone calls and email, and that was all they did. Trying to incorporate all these new technologies and and processes into their into their work to to kind of not kind of I don't know freak out a little bit and try to figure out how it all works together.
0: Yeah, it is. It it can be overwhelming, but when you think of the flip side of it, I think before sales engagement and sales enablement spaces really became prominent in in mo- the modern day tech industry sales sales reps, in general, managed their business book of business off of post-it notes and Excel sheets and uh, reminders on their calendars or um, appointment books. you know and and you think about what was happening to a lot of those sales teams was that the disparity between your top reps and the rest of the reps on your team was pretty big. You know, you'd have the, the the stud, you know, female or male sales rep that was out there crushing it, and then you had the rest of the sales team. And for a manager, you had no reason why you you couldn't really put pinpoint a reason why one sales rep was better than anybody else. Um, you might be able to say, Well, this person does a better job of managing their their information in their calendar and their post-it notes are more organized, but What typically happened before sales engagement tools came along, like Outreach, was that sales reps would follow up with a lead. Maybe they'd send them an email and and try to get them on the phone a couple times, but then they would move on to the next good-looking lead and forget to follow up. And they would; those leads would eventually fall through the cracks and be forgotten. Um, Or if you were on the phone and you're driving you know, from one place to the next, trying to meet with clients and you get a phone call and somebody wants to book a meeting with you. You can't really stop the car and, you know, write down that information all the time. So reps would try to remember that, like make a note to follow up with, you know, Jill or John Smith next week and they would forget. And then that there's a lead that's gone. And by the time you remember that company's going to move on to another vendor. so, you know, you've got the side of it where leads were constantly falling through the crack. And then you've got marketing professionals that are like, hey, we're generating all these great leads for you, for the sales team. And you guys are doing nothing with them, you're letting them fall through the cracks. And, and then we have to go out and get you more. And then the other side of it is that, again, back to that manager or sales, the director of sales or VP of sales. They have no way of being able to identify why some reps are successful and other reps aren't. Um, they have no data. They just have, you know, maybe some op- some slight observations or gut feelings as to why somebody's better than another person. Well, with tools like Outreach, you know, you've got now a high-tech tool that has machine learning and artificial intelligence that's collecting those insights for you. So. Not only is it a way for reps to organize their day and make sure that leads don't fall through the cracks, you've also got a tool that's collecting data on how many opens an email gets, uh, whether someone you're sending the email is clicking on any links that you put in the email, um, what what sequences, what, um, you know, designed touch points, you know, are we call them sequences and outreach, which is just a series of touch points over a designated period of time. Which sequences are generating the most meetings? Um, and at what point in the sequence are you getting the most replies? Um, so that you can see what's working and then replicate that across your other sequences. What What's working across your sales team and replicate that in training across your entire sales org. Um, you can even see what time of the day is the best time of the day to send somebody an email to get them to open it and what time of the day is the best time of the day to make a phone call to get a connection. Because these are the these are the key metrics that are important to a sales team to be successful. Um, you know, my reps make 50 to 70 phone calls a day. I don't want them spending that time doing it from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock in the morning. If the data shows that the best time to call somebody is between 11 and 1, right. and with Outreach, I can go in and look at those reports and say, hey, let's shift our call block two hours and we're gonna get a better connect rate. We're gonna book more meetings. Like that's, that's the, the, the other tier to a, a tool like this that, that gives you an advantage over other sales organizations. And when you start to think about the number of businesses that are out there competing for customers and revenue, um, the ones that iterate and build a, a, a sales team around a, a stack of technology that's going to help them be more successful and give them that information, those insights and those, that data are going to be the ones that go out and grow the fastest.
1: A quick pause to say thank you to Ingenux, the content matters sponsor. Ingenious is a leading provider of agile content management solutions. You can check them out at ingenuux.com You talk a lot about kind of figuring out what works and what doesn't work. does Does your kind of background as an educator kind of help you kind of work in that model like, did that help you at all?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, so you know I spent eighteen and a half years teaching oh, before okay. I jumped out to, to the sales world and um, I was a you know I was a music teacher. And I taught uh, middle school and high school band uh, for those 18 and a half years. And so, a lot of people, you know, when they see that I did that for such a long period, they're like, why did you make the jump to sales? Um, And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into it. But for me, being an educator, I was also, I thrive on uh, learning. Just personally, it's like something I, I love to do is just go out and learn new traits, new skills. And I'm very hands-on as a music musician and a music teacher. I was always hands-on. And I always incorporated technology in my classroom. Um, So my students were always engaging with the latest music technology programs to be able to help them develop their skills, but also to help students kind of find interest in writing and creating their own music. Um, I taught a class that, had eighth grade students composing their own music to perform in the, by the end of the semester. Um, so I, I was very hands-on with technology, too, in the classroom. So when the opportunity was presented to me to, to join outreach, uh, it was at a time in my career where I was finishing up my master's degree in music and kind of thinking about what the next chapter for me might look like, whether I was going to continue to teach in public schools or maybe start to look towards uh, becoming a higher ed professor and teaching music education at a college or university, so um, it was kind of great timing because I took a, a sabbatical to finish my master's degree, and because it wasn't a paid sabbatical, I was able to start working at outreach uh, to earn some income at the same time to see if this sales job would be um, a viable career for me. And obviously, it it took off, but I think um, the The things that I bring in from my education experience is, number one, understanding that not all people learn and process information the same way. Um, So, you know, when I was developing lessons to teach my students, there are some students that are oral learners and they can sit in class and listen to a lecture and they absorb that information and they comprehend it. Other students are kinesthetic learners and they need to be hands on. You need to give them something, an activity to do to understand the content you're trying to teach them. Um, and other students are visual learners. They need to see it like drawn out on the board or a diagram to really understand it. So when you think about how that translates to sales in the modern sales process that I built out here, that I learned at Outreach and I've built out here at Ingenix is that. You can't just go one thread, a one thread approach to selling. You know, it can't be just inbound. You have to do inbound and outbound. It can't be just emails. You need to do emails, phone calls, LinkedIn messages, LinkedIn engagement, uh, maybe even physical mailing, you know, like sending out gifts to, uh, you know, high target prospects or accounts, Um, sending out. Uh Invitations to events, you know things like that where you're um or sending out videos where the sales reps create a video and send it as a link in an, an email like you need the the more multi throng thronged your approaches and sales, the more people you engage with because not everyone processes that information the same way, so where you might be able to get one person to sit down and read a, a lengthy sales email. Another person is going to just delete that out of their inbox, but might engage with you on the phone if you, get, if you catch them on the phone. Another person might connect with you on LinkedIn and engage with you on LinkedIn. So you just never know what channel you're going to reach somebody through. And that's why a, a, a good sales process needs to have all of those components built in and baked into the process. Um, the other thing that for me personally you know, being a musician, um, you know, that that creative side of my brain is constantly on. So I'm always looking at ways to improve the the process, ways to improve my own performance, ways to continue to grow in my own skill set. And I think sales is very much in that same vein is you've got to be constantly iterating on what you're doing, not reinventing what you're doing, not scrapping it completely and throwing it out and starting over, but iterating. And that's where it gets into looking at what's working and replicating that across multiple threads in your your sales process. Looking at data to see where you're getting a bump and then really making sure that you're training the sales team on that uh, so that they can be really efficient in that area. Um, And just kind of thinking on your toes and responding Um, as a musician, you know, you think musicians, like great jazz musicians can improv, can do improvisation at the, you know, click of a finger. Um, And, you know, sales reps need to be the same way when they call people on the phone, because you never know what kind of response you're going to get. Whether you're going to get a hello, and I'm interested in talking to you, or a, why did I pick up the phone? Now I'm stuck on this call or I really don't want to talk to you and somebody hangs up on you. And you have to kind of be thinking on your toes and ready to respond to whatever um, whatever situation you might be in and also what objections they might throw at you um, as a sales rep. I think it's really important to just be really flexible. Um, and then the, the last side of it for me is um, I think Specifically for me, what's really helped my career in sales go from being an SDR to a sales manager and now a director of sales development is that I I feel that my experience as a teacher has really helped me to to help other people grow and learn how to become an effective salesperson and and manage teams more efficiently. Um, just like I did that as a teacher, helping. Young musicians grow and develop for three to six years, depending on which age levels I was teaching at the time. I'm able to help sales reps do the same thing where they might come into the SDR role and want to eventually become um, you know, a, a marketing person, or they might want to go into um, becoming a, an account executive and being more of a closer um you know giving them the tools to develop those skills to get there someday um just being able to help people kind of find what it is it's their true north and then uh helping guide them in the direction of getting there throughout their their development
1: you said something interesting there that um uh, that i think is good to kind of talk about is you talk about how you know you bring you, you kind of bring it SDRs in and they kind of decide, you know, where they want to go if they want to go to marketing kind of branch out into marketing or to sales, more sales positions. So there's a relationship there obviously between marketing and sales. And there's an alignment that a lot of companies really struggle with. But um, I know that it's critical. I know we do it really well at Ingenix and I I've worked with other companies where we've actually kind of had that alignment really well. But Does does that mean that an SDR is a marketer or is that an SDR is sales or are the two kind of roles or departments so tightly intertwined today that you really don't necessarily distinguish one from the other? Like, how do you look at it?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I remember early in in my outreach experience, one of the value points that we used to use in our messaging, especially when we were calling marketing leaders, was that a tool like outreach can bridge the gap between sales and marketing. Mm. Because back, you know, even five years ago, and it's still very common today in a lot of businesses, is that the marketing sits in one office and the sales team sits in another, and there's not a lot of communication back and forth. But the marketing team is spending... You know, company dollars and spending their time and hard work to generate traffic and leads that get sent to the sales team, but they have no—they have no insight into what the sales team does with those leads. How are they? How are they following up with them? What messaging are they using? Is it—is it similar to what the marketing team used to get them in the door in the first place? Um, and on the sales side the sales side in those situations, they're sitting in another office across the the building and they're getting all these leads. And, you know, the, the notorious sales, like says these leads suck, you know, like marketing, sending us all these leads and, and I can't get them to convert to a meeting or an opportunity. So that means the leads must suck, right? Well, no, they don't. It's just, there's no connection between the two departments or the two team strategies. To be aligned, so outreach is great because it for a marketing team you can now go into outreach and look at the sequences and look at the messaging that's included in the templates, um, and in the phone scripts to see what is the sales team saying, um, what kind of a process are my leads going through uh, after we pass them off to sales to get converted over to an opportunity, and if they're not. Then what do we do with them? What what have they gone? What journey have they traveled through? If they don't convert, and how do we now build a follow-up nurture to that to get them back into our loop again in the future? Um, so I think, in my viewpoint, I think marketing and sales is one entity. Um, and, and I instead of thinking of it as marketing and sales, I think of it as revenue operations. Like marketing and sales are both on the revenue generating side of a company, um even though you know, as we've mentioned in, in this conversation that you know it takes a lot of technology and a lot of resources, you know both um, employees and time to to be able to generate leads and convert those leads to sales opportunities um, they're still even though they're they're taking up that much, that many resources from an organization, the the ROI is that they're generating that a much higher level of revenue. So if you have your marketing and your sales team working together as one unified revenue operations team, now you're you're maximizing the impact that those teams have together because you've got two leadership teams that are working in sync and then the 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 strategies are aligned, the the goals are aligned, the metrics are aligned, and you're able to better manage those things at each step of the journey, so that you can see where breakdowns could be occurring, and make changes to to improve or increase those those metrics in each of those areas. Um, so that's you know was a big thing for me, and you know being being hired. And in Ingenix, and working directly with Dave Hillis, who kind of steers the marketing side of the business for Ingenix, um, it's been great because he and I have worked together in lockstep to build this process out for the sales team. Um, and we've talked about how the marketing impacts the sales, and the sales impacts the marketing, and, and merged the two. And you know, I think you know one of the one of the tools that we went out and purchased recently and rely on heavily in, in our uh, tool stack is Six Sense, which is kind of a marketing and sales person's dream tool. Uh, and this is a kind of a new emerging tool when we talked about like sales engagement and sales enablement. Now you've got this marketing tool that's coming to the forefront and they're kind of blowing some of the traditional uh, marketing terms out of the water like MQLs. Um, Sixth Sense is kind of making a lot of marketing leaders rethink the idea of an MQL, marketing yeah. qualified lead, and thinking more in terms of an MQA, a marketing qualified account. So Sixth Sense is, um, you know, it's got this whole side of the platform that is a marketing tool where you can deliver, you know, targeted marketing um, to specific accounts and people within those accounts and then you can collect data on who which of those accounts are engaging with that marketing content Um, but you can also see which which accounts are out there that researching keywords in your market space and visiting your website Um, and that's really important on the sales side too because If sales is going to go out and try to sell to these accounts, how better to do that than to understand what those accounts are actually interested in? So on the sales side, in Sixth Sense, you can see what keywords are people at these accounts researching? What pages on your website are they visiting? You know, what specifically are they looking for and what challenges might they have that you can solve? And then the sales team can go out there with really targeted personalized messaging that resonates with them to be able to get those leads to con- those accounts and those contacts uh, to convert more quickly into opportunities and revenue pipeline so I think you know uh, a mark a salesperson is a marketer and a marketing person is a salesperson and and our jobs are now more and more becoming one in the same. Um, and you know one kind of key indicator of that is five to ten years ago, marketing teams were not uh, held to their conversion percentages. Yeah. a lot of teams a lot of marketing teams were their quota was how many leads can you generate in a month? But now more and more you're starting to see that marketing leaders are measured on their effectiveness not by the number of leads they're generating but by the percentage of leads that are converting into opportunities. Just like sales reps are, are held to a quota of how many, how many opportunities are we able to generate, how many um, accounts and contacts are we able to convert into a meeting or an opportunity, which leads to revenue. So I think we're, we're, we're being measured on some of the same data, data statistics now that kind of even make us more in sync than we ever were before.
1: And that's why um, account-based marketing is is something that I'm a huge, huge proponent proponent of. Say that word right. <laughs> and um, so, which is what Sixth Sense is. It's an account-based marketing technology. Demand-based terminus. They're they're all kind of other. They're they're similar and they're different. And but that technology itself is like, I believe it will become the key technology for marketing because it does help them. Kind of target the exact right accounts they want to reach that sales want to reach, and it just keeps the two groups so tight together that that you can't, you should be able to achieve success if you're doing it that way. That's that's how I look at it, anyway.
0: Right? Yeah, and especially if you're if you're a business that's, you know, an emerging business or a business that's looking to expand your market reach, um, what better way to understand? what accounts out there are actually interested in your market or your space, then to have a tool like that in place to kind of guide you in the right direction. Again, you know, one of the most frustrating things for a salesperson is to continue to beat the drum into an account and get no response. And and you know, when I think back to our days at Outreach, especially our early days where we were being, you know, we were marketers and sales reps at the same time we were reaching out to accounts that that you know we didn't even know if they had a sales team you know we were just trying to get the word out about about outreach and if we would have had a tool like 6sense or terminus or you know bombora those kind of tools back then it would have really helped us to guide our efforts into the places that were more likely to generate interest because they were at least aware of us At the time, uh, as opposed to reaching out to a company that's never heard of us and and may not even have a use for a tool like ours,
1: right? Yep, absolutely. So, okay. So, last question for um, you—one kind of fits in with the Content Matters podcast theme. Um, Content is is a key tool, obviously, for engaging with prospects. And but and I've I've kind of heard you say that you are leveraging a lot more thought leadership in kind of your sequences and your processes. How do you how do you kind of figure out where it fits in a sequence and how do you know what the right kind of content is to deliver?
0: Yeah, that's another great question.
1: Um, so yeah when when you think of when you think of kind of
0: the two schools of sales engagement, um, I would say there the one side which what I would call would be the old school way of doing it was you have a product to sell and you go out and you try to sell it um and all of your communication is hey i've got this great product you want to take a look at it this is a great product um we're top of the industry we've got the best product out there you should come buy our product um the other side of it the more modern the new school way of it is Um, we have this product that helps you solve this challenge or relieves this pain you might be experiencing in your day-to-day job duties. Um, And the messaging around that side has to be, where is where the value framework kicks in, is um, you're not necessarily out there beating on the door, trying to push your product onto somebody, you're out there trying to engage with someone and say, um, here are the common challenges that we help customers solve. Does this resonate with you? If so, let's schedule a time to talk about it. Let's let us introduce you to our solutions and services. Um, And if it's the right fit for you and we can help you solve that challenge, great. Um, And that's where, where I see content really playing a key role in a sales process is when when we design our sequences for our SDR teams to use to reach out to prospects at accounts, we start out with that value message. Um, You know, we want to introduce the company so that that name recognition is established and then we want to follow it up with, here's what we're helping leaders like you in your field solve. Here are the pains that we address. Here are the challenges that we help you solve in your day-to-day work, workflow and environment. Um, And then you follow that up with uh, some social proofing. Here are some companies like you or like your industry that we're helping solve those similar challenges. So you get some like street cred, right? Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like the first initial like introduction email. And then where you follow that up with is then content is really important to to be a supporting factor in following up the, in the in the forthcoming messages. So as you continue to reach out to these contacts at these accounts to engage with them, you send you, you've got to give them something that's valuable for them to want to give you back their time, which is extremely valuable. Okay, anybody knows. Anybody in sales knows that the hardest thing to do is gain somebody's time. It's the most valuable resource that anybody in sales has is time. So when we're reaching out to somebody, we want to deliver enough value for them to say, it's worth my time to speak with you. So Um, you know, that's where content can play such an important role in being able to deliver um, specific content that not only speaks to their industry, but also supports those challenges that you mentioned in that first email. So, for instance, um, you know, we have a lot of customers in the higher education space at in we help a lot of colleges and universities and community colleges. So, you know we we engage with those leaders at those at those institutions and we say here are the challenges we're helping other customers in the higher education space solve and then we follow that up with links to our website that are specifically designed around our higher education solution white papers that we've that you you've been involved with developing and and videos that we've have have produced that are geared specifically toward the higher education space. Um, because then, if somebody in that industry can see that and they have a connection with that, and they're like, hey, we're experiencing that same challenge here, or we have a project where we're trying to improve that part of our digital experience here as well, or oh, I really like how that university that they featured in this case study um, was able to solve that challenge. Um, that sounds like a partner I want to work with. That sounds like a vendor that that has experience in this space and can really help us. Um, And in in an industry like education, that's really important because, you know, street cred is really important to those people that are making the decisions to purchase um, products and software technology solutions in higher ed organizations. So if you can support that claim with uh, that really value driven content, then you, you earn the respect and time that you need to be able to have a conversation with the decision makers at those accounts. Um, so we, we really heavily rely on that in our sequencing. And um, that's, you know, that's how we see um, an increase in engagement with our emails, uh, our open rates in sequences that include that value-driven content, our open rates are higher. Our reply rates are higher. Uh, the, when we get a conversation on the phone, the the people are more willing to have a conversation with us because we've shared something with them that's relevant, that resonates with them, and therefore they've 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 we've earned enough of their respect that they're going to have a conversation with us and not just hang up on us or blow us off and not reply to our emails. Even if they're not interested, we'll get a reply that says hey, I really appreciate you reaching out to me and sharing this with me. We're not in the market for this solution right now, but I'll keep this on ha- on file. And when, when a project like this comes out, I'll reach out. And that's what we really want in sales and marketing is we want that brand awareness yeah. and we want to establish that, that, you know, incremental gains. You know, we want to establish that, that at least framework for a relationship down the road, even if it's years down the
1: yeah because when when you sell technology, it's never a it's rarely a you know turnaround in a month kind of thing. It's usually a long term you know relationship building process to get to that final point
0: right, and you know the other thing that you know kind of taking this full circle back to outreach, the one thing that we talked a lot about at outreach when I worked there is that none of our competitors, nobody in our space in the sales engagement space, had anything that was unique if you came out with a feature tomorrow that was unique, it was going to be replicated within two days, you know, with, with the, the, the set in the, in the development community. If you came out with something that was like industry shattering, you could guarantee that your competitor was going to figure out how to build it. So, you know, if you had something that was unique, it was only going to be unique for about 48 hours. So um, you can't, you can't sell on features you have to sell on total value and like what is the ROI that you're going to get from working with us as a vendor and, and and focus on that and that alone you don't go out and feature sell you don't go out and sell against your competitors um, you don't you know downgrade your competitors because competitors make you better you know so you know, that's one thing that we never did at outreach was, you know, don't. We trained our sales reps: don't go out and bash our competitors. If someone's using our competitor, say, "That's great. I'm really glad to hear you're using someone in the sales engagement space." Let me ask you this question, and then ask them a question that would keep that conversation moving. Um, you don't say, "Oh, well, they're a really terrible tool," or "Oh, you shouldn't be using them." You know, because that gets you nowhere. You don't earn the respect and attention of the person that you're, you're trying to engage with. If you focus solely on what it is your solution can solve and the value you, that you bring to them as a company, then that's where you're going to get the best results.
1: This has been a really great conversation, Chris. I have actually learned a lot just in this, more than I even learned from you before. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. <laughs> it's all really great stuff. Um, Thanks. So what's the name of your band?
0: Oh, the name of my it's so it's uh I guess I wouldn't call it a band. It's um it's a it's a brass ensemble. Okay. Uh and this has been a, a a side project for me and a bunch of my colleagues here in the central Pennsylvania area. Um so kind of the largest uh city close well, city close to where we live is Altoona. At um back in the day it was a huge railroad city. Pennsylvania, which, you know, if you're familiar with Pennsylvania, railroad and steel industries were in coal, were kind of the top industries back in our heyday. Um, so Altoona is still kind of the central hub for the railroad. So uh, a lot of us live in Blair County, which Altoona is um, kind of built around, uh, Blair County is built around the Altoona area. So our our name, our group name is Altoona Brass Collective.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Um, so we are a twenty one piece brass ensemble, wow, and we are all uh either current or former educators. Some of us uh, are retired educators, some are um educators outside of music. We have a chemistry teacher and a guidance counselor uh who are in our ensemble, but life lifelong musicians and um we call ourselves a collective because we we all contribute because we're all educators and we're all musicians. We all contribute to the growth of our ensemble. Um, you know, all of our music is arranged and written in house. Uh, we all work on the different business components of our of our ensemble to promote and grow our our audience and uh, get us more performances. So um, it's a, it's really great for me because now that I'm not teaching anymore, it keeps me in touch and in tune with my my uh my passion, which is music
1: yeah that's, I love music i'd be I'd love to hear you sometime. you must be on YouTube or something somewhere are you
0: yeah uh we're the best place to find us and keep you know if you wanted to keep up with what we're doing and see some of our recordings is on facebook uh the El Tuna brass collective on Facebook, and we're also on instagram, and um we're working on developing a website here very soon should be out by uh, early August and it'll be uh, com.
1: Cool. I'll have to check that out. I encourage everyone else to as well. Uh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. It's been a great conversation.
0: Thank you, Barb. I appreciate it. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player.